A year of service in the Lutheran Episcopal Volunteer Network is an incredible challenge, a life-changing experience, and a phenomenal opportunity. Eleven Year is a chance to discern your faith and spirituality through ancient liturgies, modern spiritual practice, and everything in between. You will meet and live with people from all over the country, from all walks of life, who have come to Sacramento to experience intentional community, service to others, and simple living. Find out more and start your application at leaven.org. That's L-E-V-N dot org. listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today we talk to George McHale, one of the creators of Church Clarity. And as George puts it, why do we know more about our Uber drivers than we do about our pastors? And now, George. Let's roll. Well, on this podcast, we talk about God, sex, and the Bible, and um, I'm really interested in learning about your journey and what got you to uh, church clarity. And then I want to talk uh, a little bit about, um, like we always we always make a point to talk about uh, your views on the Bible and uh, what sex has come to mean to you in this age of Me Too, in this age of like people are throwing off purity culture. And I just think it's really important to hear it from as many straight people as we can. So mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do. So just like, just all easy stuff. Right? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, but it's going to be like, you're going to, you're like, like ask specific questions. And you're going to be like, what are you so tell me about what you think about the Bible? Yeah. 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 Okay. I have questions. <laughs> I have questions, but like right off the bat, I'm really curious about, um, how you grew up because, it took me a while in our interactions for me to even realize that you had a wife and then that you had kids. So like mm. my mind was blown. That's so, funny. so just like shorthand, like how did, how did you get to the adult you? How did you oh, get to yeah. the adult very version quickly. of George? Very, very quickly. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a conservative evangelical when I was in my, um, you know, late teens, early twenties. And, so executed that playbook to a T, got married yeah. as quickly as I possibly could so that I could have sex as quickly as I possibly could. Okay. Up until that. Hello? With my now wife, I said to her, um, my <laughs> first date, I'm, I'm 19 years old. She's 23. Wow. I said, look, I'm, um, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm looking for a wife. Oh, my gosh. I know. God, so it's so gross. But, That's heavy. But I know. And and then, you know, 10 months later, we were engaged. I <laughs> uh, got married 10 months after that. I was 21 when uh, we had our, our first kid. Um, Kingston, and now I'm 33, so uh, Kingston is 10. And then uh, we have a little girl, Saxon, who's nine. So I would say my faith accelerated my uh, into my adulthood years like it was, it was one of the biggest factors. It was, it was the, um, what's that John Eldridge book? Wild, wild at heart. It's the, it's the oh, whole corny, like patriarchal storyline that, um, you know, thank God, you know, my wife and I 
have been sort of deconstructing together and um, are, are, you know, just in love and, and take it one day at a time. But that was, it was a hard road that we're just still recently even just like emerging out of and being like, we're two completely different people. And um, every day is, is interesting, but, but to think of like where, where we came from and how we got here is wild for sure. When did you start, when did you together start deconstructing your faith? Because um, I think for those of us who are queer, we had a real awakening moment when we came out. So it forced us against our will to consider the things that we taught, we were taught when we were kids. Um, mm -hmm. What did you have a moment like that? Definitely. Yeah. So, so I was an executive pastor at a church in Seattle um, in around 2011. And around that same time is when my faith started changing quite a bit, like the way I viewed the Bible, the way I saw Jesus, uh, my theology in general. And so it would, it was probably 2013 when some of like the big pillars started to drop, like biblical literalism and all that kind of stuff. And then um, around 2014 is when uh, the church that I was at, we were starting to make uh, moves like behind the scenes to become a fully inclusive church. And, um, you know, for a large evangelical megachurch at the time, that was kind of a little bit of a big deal. And I was in Time Magazine, all that kind of stuff. It was like a, a, a big, wow. big, but leading up to that, um, my wife and I, we had a nanny, whose name was Ayla, and she was, you know, uh, basically an another parent to our children. She was like a part of the family. Yeah. And, uh, over time, like we became like really close and her friend, Christina, um, always like started to come around and like, we adopted her into the family. She, she like became one of us as always around the kids. Christina worked for Eastlake for the church I was at. She was uh, one of our worship leaders. And, um, so over the next several months, this is like, this is late 2014, we became super close to the two of them, not knowing, you know, that they're falling in love, right? And Whoa. so, um, so their story unfolded like, like as a part of like our our extended family, uh, and they came out to us before anyone else. And that moment for sure, when Christina and Ayla came out to us, told us they were in love. Um, it was like all bets were off. Like I think my theology had already changed long before that. But just in terms of like how, how like uh, how long it took, how far off we really still were. Like we would call ourselves inclusive. We would like like, like act as if we were um, sort of more superior than than other uh, people because we call ourselves progressive. But really, we hadn't done anything. We hadn't told anyone. It wasn't public. Yeah. We didn't change, change our policies. But uh, the thing that rocked me was. Uh, Christina, even in the safety of, of that moment and, and like um, among family, uh, was like in tears thinking that I was going to fire her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I was her boss and a really good friend, right? So it was almost it was almost like she knew that on a personal level things would be fine, but like almost that I would have no choice but to fire her because can't have a, a gay a worship pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was one of the big moments, actually, clarity was, became pretty poignant. Like, whoa, Christina's confused? Yeah, hmm. like she's in, she's in staff meetings where we're talking about, we're reading, you know, Matthew Vines, and we're, we're going through it, and she's confused? And it's, and it's because we haven't clarified what we actually meant. We just used a lot of rosy language, and oh, we're becoming more inclusive, right? 
Um, but until we got up, until Ryan, our lead pastor, got up there, you know, January of 2015 and formally stated, you know, LGBTQ people are welcome at every level of this community and we changed our policies, uh, it didn't mean anything. You said that at the front of the church? You said that? Oh, yeah. Ryan did. Yeah, Ryan, we, he gave a whole sermon about this it's, is what it is Ryan. now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's powerful. It's one of a truly like powerful moment. It's like the most formal, it's funny because we were pretty like loosey goosey, you know, hip evangelicalist church. And it was like this formal declaration of East from this day forward, East Lake Church. I don't remember it verbatim, but it's online. You can watch it. That is one in a million of, I mean, you self-described your church as a mega church or at least following in that pattern, that is like one in a million where they would actually do something like that. You guys weren't scared of being cut off from, or not getting any funding, or not getting recognized, or, I mean, because honestly, what happened to Matthew Vines himself was that his book created this uh, chaos um, because the publisher was part, was a member of the National Religious Broadcasters. And so the National Religious Broadcasters were like, we won't publish your book, and uh, or we won't uh, allow you to be a member if you publish their book. And the publisher was like, okay, well, I guess we can't be members, which, uh, which meant that they weren't going to have much spending power anymore, which meant that they weren't going to have much recognition anymore. Um, was there a domino effect for you guys making that declaration? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, and we knew. We knew what we were signing up for. You know, and Eastlake... So, and, and before that we were, we had, again, we were becoming more progressive. Um, we were, we were doing sermon series about, you know, reading the Bible differently and taking on this little approach. Um, so LGBTQ inclusion was sort of the culmination of, of, a, of a lot of um, theological changes that our church was going through, um, probably about a year prior. And so, you know, at our peak 2013-ish, we were... Uh, maybe 5,000, 5,500 people, eight locations in the Seattle area. Um, and throughout 2014, there was a slow dip as we became more progressive. And by 2015, uh, about probably like 4,000 4, people, let's say, 3,800. And, and then inclusion probably cut that in half. So, uh, so we went from, yeah, $8 million a year budget to about $4 million a year budget pretty much overnight. Uh, had to sh- close yeah. campus campuses, um, the whole thing. So, so yeah, but that's that's what we signed up for. That's what we knew would happen. I mean, he's like still around today, which is actually pretty am- amazing. That even there's still a couple hundred people that are still meeting, and it's a totally different uh, thing. But uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, the fact that we even made it uh, that far is 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 interesting. But the backlash was intense, and uh, it just it just goes to show you how polarizing uh christians are about sexuality it's absolutely polarizing and i'm impressed that you're still in the game um because yeah most of us seeing just seeing like the the financial loss would have been like okay what am i doing maybe i have to rethink uh my my theology here um (laughs) Yeah, you start believing some of the narratives. You're like, oh, God, maybe it's God against us? <laughs> based on this statement. Yeah. Uh, losing. Yeah, based on this bank statement. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a straight man, and uh, it's, 
it is hard to stomach some of some of it, but I do feel like at some level I have a responsibility for a the theology that I used to perpetuate, the system that I grew up in, that I've upheld and validated my whole life, uh, to um, not just like walk away from it and, and leave it in its sort of uh, destructive ways. I, I think knowing how the sausage gets made um, kind of. I don't know, creates a sense of responsibility. Like I can't, yeah, this is, this is hurting people. And I feel like I can at least be somewhat helpful in provide in giving tools for some, some of the anecdote, just because again, I know how the sausage gets made. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, what? I can't just walk away. Yeah. So, but you did stop being a minister at some point and move to New York. Yeah, I did do that. Um, and I, I continued to work in a church in New York. Uh, I mean, I'm still an IRS-recognized minister. I mean, you know, I can still receive my tax-free income if the church pays me money. Um, <laughs> I just don't belong to a congregation. And um, that's that's kind of by design in this season, honestly. It's like a testament to where I'm at with faith and, and, and just kind of looking around like, I don't want to go to church right now. That's, yeah. not, that's not a thing. It's not a thing that I think is... Um, fruitful like I don't know I honestly I don't know what we're doing anymore on Sundays like we have so much to, to try to figure out before we can even like begin to to try to have a celebration about anything right now and that's interesting I think I'm just like in this season of like mm -mm, that's not it I don't Sunday mornings and like putting on a happy face and worshiping the Lord that's <laughs> for what like look around things are on I fire mean, it's uh, to you, it feels kind of blasphemous, but mm -hmm. for so many people, it is a daily practice. You know, it is um, an endurance game and not that of a celebration. Mm -hmm. um, what what's made you so angry? You seem passionately angry. Yeah, I think it's just the uh, the whole act of it has just lost so much. Um, it, it, and even you know when you say. People see it as a practice. I get that. And we all have our practices. And I'm not, people do whatever they want, by the way. Like, I'm not judging anybody that does go to church. I'm just talking about where I'm at um, and, and kind of how I'm processing where faith has led me. And um, I think I'm passionate because I've seen so much abuse in the church firsthand. I've yeah. experienced it. I've, 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 again, in many ways, prior to um, uh, changing a lot of how I, how I saw the world and theology. I perpetuated a lot of the harm. You know, a big a big part of my passion comes from a posture of repentance. It's it's saying like, you know, and that's even a big part of clarity. Like it's saying, don't be misleading. Tr like trust me on this. I was that for a while, and um, and it's harmful for people. So, um, so I I also think a lot of my passion comes from the fact that I I still have a lot of hope for the church, and I still believe in yeah. Um, um, what could be and i'm so disillusioned by the wasted potential and uh just the laziness and the greed and all of it i'm like we need to we need to reset at some level we need to like we need a jubilee we need a table flipping we need something like we need a resurrection like i don't know how many biblical metaphors we yeah. can fit into what we need right now but i'm just saying for me what i what it isn't 
is the same rituals uh, oh. right now. Like, and maybe, and and the way I feel about it right now is almost like a like a probationary period for myself. And like, uh, and and maybe we come out the other end, and 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 we can um, redeem some of some of the things that are still present. Oh I yeah, think that's a lot of value. You know, I totally advocate for taking a break. I think so many of us uh feel better when we walk away and uh we do life and then we come back to it with a fresh and open heart um mm -hmm. but you're doing something that is so unique and uh well thought out um for you it's not just the church which i mean like we could talk forever about how um, the church has failed us, <laughs> but for you, it is the individuals who attend that church. It is the individuals who lead the church and it is the organizations that surround it, you know, so the nonprofit organizations that we all depend on. Um, when, what, when did you get this idea to create church clarity? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of like milestones along the way. Certainly, Christina Ellis' story is, is is one of the early ones. Yeah, I think um, things started to crystallize more around um, uh, intervarsity. Uh, intervarsity's big statement when they became clearly not affirming the issue. That 18 page uh, paper on human sexuality, huh. and I um, this was before Church Clarity, but around the time where I was still like this newly affirming uh, pastor. And trying to uh, convince other pastors, like, hey, you should be affirming too. Like, you know, I used to think like you, that was horrible. You should come and have open theology or whatever it was at the time. Um, and when InterVarsity happened, I was like, huh, that's interesting. They're just going to, they're just actually going to say it. They're going to say where they're at. And it's, it's horrible. I disagree with like all 18 pages of this. But, um, good for them for being clear. And I wrote a blog post called InterVarsity Did the Right Thing. Well, and uh, nobody liked it. Yeah. Uh, it was not popular. I can imagine. But it was the kind of the start of like feeling like, I think I'm tapping into something here because um, I, I believed it. I believed like, you know what? That was garbage. We weren't ready for it at some level, InterVarsity. Just like we weren't ready for what happened with World Vision. And um, um, uh, what's the dude's name? The Voice... Uh, the guy that wrote The Voice, come on, uh -huh. he wrote a Bible, Ooh. he wrote a Bible just like you, you wrote our Bible app, he wrote uh, The Voice. I didn't write a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wrote code that creates the Bible, right? <laughs> he created it. Um, anyways, he did, he did some world vision things. Um, but yeah, InterVarsity was the start of it. I was just seeing like, this is way different than what most non-affirming churches do. I wish they would just say it so that people would know. Uh, <sighs> Yeah. So the thing that really grabbed me about Church Clarity was that um, I have, like, my my entire uh, Crystal Cheatham origin story is based on walking into a church and discovering that what they say up front is completely different than how they conduct themselves, right? Jeez, and yeah. just, like, just, you know, <laughs> seven layers of disappointment. And the surface, it's just a service. It's just people coming together and worshiping and uh, being in community. Um, but the moment you start to open those doors of 
of leadership, of policy, of politics, of where the money's coming from and how it's getting spent, mm -hmm. it turns into a web of lies, mm -hmm. you know? But like mm -hmm. as a queer person, so many of us have have just been faced with, oh, you're gay? Well, you can't, you can't worship, you can't be leadership or you can't sing mm -hmm. on stage or you can't preach or you can't uh, look after the kids group or something like that. Just like ask crazy, crazy things. Um, mm -hmm. For you, for you, it was something bigger. It was something different. It was the it was the whole again the, how the sausage gets made, and and seeing the the direct link from what gets spewed on on stage to how policy is enforced was just so obvious because I had been there, um, and it's what people were missing. You know, I'd, I'd watch how people would ask questions and how easy they made it for pastors to, to slot, like wiggle their way out of, you know, yeah. getting an answer. And I'd, I'd watch some of these like celebrity guys, Judah Smith and like Hillsong dude, uh, Carl, like, and it's just start listening a little bit closely and, and start realizing, Oh, you're just trying to cast this huge net so that people think you're a certain way. And it became really potent. It, uh, it's like the next real big moment of, of church clarity inspiration, I guess, was um, when I, I saw a sermon. Someone sent me a sermon that Judah Smith did. And he's going off this, on this passionate rant about how, you know, Jesus was inclusive. And if we're to be inclusive like Jesus, uh, we must, you know, have, be like, let, allow everybody in or all are welcome. Like just all the rhetoric, right? All in like yeah. one like one minute clip that was posted on Twitter. And my, my buddy who sent it to me is like, hey, it looks like uh, Judas Church is becoming affirming. <laughs> and right. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what this is at all. But wanted to assume the best. Okay, cool. Hey. So and I re replied on Twitter and I was like, hey, just to be clear, uh, City Church will now hire, marry, baptize LGBTQ people, right? Pretty exciting. Something like that. He never writes back, of course. Um, and we're pastors in the same town, right? Like he's, so I'm a little bit like, all right, come on. I'm not just like a Twitter troll here. I'm actually just trying to get an answer to an easy question. He ends up deleting the tweet, taking down the sermon, um, and just like totally avoiding the question. I email his office. I'm like, Hey, try to get a hold of Pastor Judah. They email me back. They're like, oh, okay, cool. He'll, he'll uh, get back to you. I sent him, I sent him this letter. It's like, Hey, just so you know, like people are getting hurt. This is misleading like did the whole like biblical confrontation model, right? Went to him privately first. Um, and then, and then it was heard back from, from his office and them saying like, okay, he'll get back to you. And then he didn't. And then, uh, yeah, ended up publishing, publishing an open letter to him saying like, you need to be more clear. And, uh, just like built on that, built on top of the, that whole story and that whole condition, like we're going to stop lying to people. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. You can believe whatever. You can believe whatever you want, but you're not going to pretend to be a certain thing and then end up hurting people. For those people who don't know, what is Church Clarity today? So we are an online database of churches that are crowdsourced and then reviewed by our team and scored based on how clearly they communicate their actively enforced policies. And we use a methodology that currently scores churches based on LGBTQ policies and women in leadership policies. And um, we basically just apply the same standard to every church that comes through our database. And then we publish it uh, online for people to see. So you can search for a church and you can 
uh, have clarity on where they're at with with these policies, regardless of what it is that they say. So, um, in addition to that, we uh, we create space for churches who want to uh, be proactive in disclosing their policies, and this is really, I think, the most exciting part about what we're doing. It's enlisting churches who agree that this is a, a salient problem in the church, and that and they agree that clarity is reasonable, which is our tagline. And what they do is they submit a survey uh, to become verified clear. We just ask them yes or no questions about how they enforce policies. Same ones I tweeted at Judah, basically. Will you hire? Will you marry? Um, things like that. And so when they answer those questions, they receive a verified clear score, and we and then we post the answers to how they answer the questions. Um, so regardless of how you answer the questions, you can become verified clear. Mm-hmm. So the point, the point really is clarity. And, and this is kind of commonly misunderstood. It's not to uh, shame. It's not it's to not shame. Yeah. It's not to label. It's not to box in, but it is to clear, clarify where you're at. So sometimes we will need to use a, a label that says not affirming because that's how most people understand what it is that you're doing. And if you don't like that label, then fill out a, a verify clear survey and say, yeah. no, we will not do weddings. And then we'll say, okay, cool. Verify clear, no weddings. Right. That's and it. I just have this a block about why churches think that it's a good idea not to self-report, not to tell people where they stand on these things. Like why they think that it is a good idea to lure people in or why they, they think that it's going to be such negative press to not tell people where they stand on uh, LGBTQ people or women in leadership, or <clears throat> if their church has had any scandals in the past, why don't they let people know before the person commits to coming to the church, starts paying tithes, starts um, mm-hmm. finding friends. And mm-hmm. for me, it has been so jarring, and it hasn't just been one church experience, yeah. you know, where I've started to go to a church and I've discovered that um, they will accept me up until one point, and then they just want to get rid of you. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing is it's unfortunately a little bit designed to be jarring, you know. It's it's um it's hopeful. Like the verify clear part is the upswing. It's like, all right, people start getting it. We start pointing out ambiguity, pastors start being like, Oh, we gotta we gotta not we gotta make sure not to have one of these stories about our church be written on the church clarity blog where someone gets hurt. Um good, that's a that's a desired effect. Um but at the same time, uh, we're not naive. You know, this condition is widespread. Ambiguity that uh, is is by design a bait and switch. It's a, it's it's uh, seeker sensitive. Like you start thinking about that phrase. You know, we were presented. When, uh, I'll speak for myself. I, I was presented it as like a, a a church growth hack. This thing that you like wanted to aspire to, and this like tool for helping you get. Uh, converts or whatever uh, salvations, I guess would be the language that we used. But you think about seeker sensitive now, kind of coming out of that, and you're like, that's really dangerous, actually. Please don't do that because what you're saying is bait and switch. What you're saying is false advertising. Um, and so I think that's a big part of the, the condition that we're exposing, and that, that's what's jarring because you're just like, oh, you don't even you don't even care how bad it looks that you're just lying. Like Brian Houston blocks us on Twitter. Like, oh, you just don't even. Yeah, that was it's crazy. Not even embarrassing. That it's not even crazy. embarrassing to you. What? Yeah. Oh God. So how many? <laughs> how many churches have you guys scored to date? 
We just crossed 2,000 the other day, which is exciting. Awesome. Um, but we had 3,300 submitted. And oh, so we God. Have okay. 1,300 church backlog right now. Yeah, we got have, some work to do. Yeah, we have 100 volunteers uh, in, in, in our Slack channel right now. That team keeps growing, and people from all around the world um, remote in and score churches, get trained on our methodology. And we have a little, you know, uh, cha- uh, channel within Slack where we talk shit, and <laughs> it's fun. So, it's it's uh it's growing and we're we're getting better and faster at scoring but yeah 2000 that is amazing that is incredible do you yeah. guys have any um hopes to start scoring individuals i mean on twitter people have asked you to score individuals <laughs> to score um uh, uh Colleges. christian colleges christian singers like everything they're just like this yep. idea is great how do we apply this like zagat <laughs> rating to everyone <laughs> <laughs> clarity everywhere yeah we're all about it too i mean especially in the church economy and the church industrial complex like we want to we want to do it in a way that's that's uh responsible first of all we don't want to water down our methodology we're very you know sometimes it takes half an hour to score one church um this is a a, a process that we actually take a lot of pride in sarah does a tremendous job with working with our our, our database team and um, some of the most thoughtful people are attracted to this work and, um, we really do, uh, due diligence. And so we, we definitely want to do that in every vertical that we're exploring. Um, that does include like right now, the most, uh, the ones that we're, we're aiming for in 2019 are college clarity, um, which would be similar to congr- the way that we score congregations and that we would, we would have a crowdsource process. Um, and so, so that's coming and then individual clarity, and organizational clarity. The way we're going to start with those two is not to do a crowdsourced, um, but only apply our verified clear method to those two, so that it's self-reporting, so it's voluntary. Um, for individuals, you know, it's this is going to upset a lot of people that we're not going to we're not going to crowdsource for individuals. But the reality is, clarity isn't that reasonable. <laughs> what? <laughs> if, if when you're trying to pin a, uh, a methodology that was designed for policy on a person who doesn't enforce a policy. So some people um, will, will see that as uh, us potentially watering down, da- would see it as us potentially watering down our methodology if we crowdsourced individuals, and I wouldn't blame them. But I think what's even more powerful is allowing people to self-select. Because then the clarity standard that we create is based on all the people who uh, submit their own individual clarity, right? So if me and you say, oh yeah, I think clarity is reasonable for individuals, here's my policy positions, then we're actually demonstrating that actively. Uh, and And collectively, then we put pressure on anybody who is in the, again, in the, in the economy, who doesn't want to be clear. And then with our collective power, then we can pressure uh, conference organizers, for instance, to ensure that their panels only include people who have disclosed where they're at. Because that's one of the biggest complaints that you see in some of these some of these dramas. And most of the time that we get tagged for, hey, you need to do individual clarity, it's because, oh, great, someone got booked on a panel who is vague about where they're at or they're you know, notoriously not affirming or whatever. Well, if conference organizers just have a mechanism to where they would book you, but you know, like you, it was a prerequisite, then 
um, the standard of clarity would would increase. People would get would get pushed out who are unwilling to be clear. Have you thought about working? Yeah, I see that it's probably really hard. Um, and I use different language than you do just because I don't have a data-driven mind. But um, <laughs> it would be really hard to, um, to classify a person based on their views right now because people change. We're constantly yes. changing. Yes. Um, have you thought about working with like maybe Campus Pride because they have um, all of these individuals who are movers and shakers um, in like the LGBT, of course, and most likely women affirming center um, that actually visit universities and colleges with LGBTQ centers. Have you mm -hmm. thought about like important partnerships like that? Definitely. Yeah. And we're, we're having a lot of great conversations with brave commons. Um, and, uh, um, a lot of, I mean, our Bible app, <laughs> we're having a lot of partnership yes. conversations right now and, and we're getting to a place where, um, we're realizing that, the best way for us to start forging some of these partnerships is to create a verified clear process for organizations. So that's yeah. something that okay. we're prioritizing because, um, because then we have a basis for which we can say with consistency, we partner with these organizations because they are willing to be clear with their, with their policies. Um, and so we're excited about that because that'll, that'll help create a lot of, I think, fun opportunities uh, for collaboration as, as things continue to grow. Dope. Well, yeah, you'll be the first, I called you yesterday. I mean, you'll be the first <laughs> to hear about this, I promise. I'm really excited. And maybe someday we will see uh, some uh, some clear symbols in the app, letting people know yeah. like, what they're getting into and what they're reading. Um, I think it was your idea. Like, you really changed my, my mind and my heart about where we get our submissions from. And mm -hmm. instead of sourcing them just from people who um, are... LGBT affirming, we source material that is LGBT affirming. So we created a policy, a publishing policy that outlines what we, what it is we actually want to put in the app. And mm -hmm. I personally do not care as much about, you know, what your personal beliefs are. And I shouldn't, you know, mm -hmm. what I care about is what you write and uh, as worship material for my audience. You know? See that's interesting. See that's that's <laughs> actually pretty that's actually pretty nuanced because I think people would say, um, what's the difference between that and a speaker going to a conference who holds uh, you know different beliefs, but they're just going to go to that conference to share about something that, you know, isn't problematic. Does that make sense? Um, and I think that's kind of what that's that's what's happening. And that's so, like this whole thing with Shane Claiborne right now, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Shane is you know is he going to go talk about sexuality at, at uh, Wild Goose, or is he going to go talk about you know uh, anti-violence? And how do we respond to that? Do we respond um, just like you're saying? You know, if, if if the content is curated in such a way, there's one reaction to that. And so I think I think we're all kind of figuring this out together right now. I think I think this is this is kind of what it means to evolve and, and try to define, clarify how we relate. Um, so so it is it is nuanced, and I think you're you're seeing that as someone who, who curates media and has to make some of these hard decisions. That it's not as it's not as cut and dry as everyone kind of seems to make it out to be sometimes. Yeah, but like right now. Um, I think that we are so split 
We are mm-hmm. spending so much time arguing. Mm-hmm. And the the arguments are becoming more and more nuanced, as you said. And mm-hmm. we are becoming more and more fragmented, you mm-hmm. know? And I just feel like in the in those in those moments of question, of silence, of deciding whether we're gonna pick a fight or not. I think we need to learn how to embrace each other and, and, and yeah. And so for those people who have somehow stumbled upon our Bible app, first Mm -hmm. of all, and then decided that they want to contribute to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I'm, I have a person in my head right now, actually, that I'm thinking of who sent us a devotional that was like very like, uh, explicitly, had this gender role bias that mm-hmm. I was like, ew, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? But like right. that's not how you respond to people. You just say, you know, these are our pub our, our our publishing this is our publishing policy. Like if you can abide by this, then we would love to accept a piece from you. And yes. she did. She See? she responded and resubmitted something that that wasn't uh, along that like traditional women do this in a women's place in the home and blah 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 blah. And I and like I was moved by hmm. her willingness to to get on our side to be on our team and for uh, and I was so proud of you know like my my team you know uh those of those people who edit for the app just like oh, <laughs> the one person that's for the app Teresa who <laughs> who like made that play you know actually put that into motion and said <clears throat> We don't have to, this does, this does not have to be the hill that we die on when it comes mm-hmm. to people who want to write for us. We can actually find a way to love and embrace people. And I think that Alicia Garza, uh, the, she's one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, talked about how we are constantly uh, overcomplicating um, our our politics and the way that we want to argue with each other and it doesn't have to be that way you know Mm -hmm. we have to find a way to get along and that's why i think that church clarity is so important because we aren't you guys aren't saying um you're not welcome at the table you guys are just saying tell me what i'm getting into (laughs) before you come to the table it's just like at&t or like you like verizon like at&t and verizon they both have their plans laid out I, as the consumer, am able to say, this is the one that fits me, you know? And, like, churches need to be that clear. That's it. (laughs) I need a menu. (laughs) Like, we shouldn't know more about our Uber drivers than we do about our pastors. It's ridiculous. Like, I can can read reviews in my app (laughs) as I'm getting in my Uber. But I show up to a church on Sunday, and he's talking about loving everybody. And I'm like, but wait, hold on. I got a couple questions about what you mean by everybody. Uh, It just shouldn't be, it just shouldn't be like that. So I think it's so easy to just like use that language. (laughs) Like you said, rosy, rosy language. It's just like, yeah, it's really easy. It is. And so I think what you're touching on though, with that example is actually pretty, um, pretty radical. I think it actually might mess with some people. I don't know how how much you've shared that story, but um, or it yeah. should mess with people. It should mess with people if if they give it some actual serious consideration compared to how we tend to react to other like Shane type situations, right? Yeah, um, you can't get and, mad at people for sharing their faith, right? Right. That's... As long as they're clear. As long as they're clear about where they're at. Honestly, <laughs> um, I hate to be so on brand, but like that's what I've come to. I'm just like, listen, clarity is reasonable. Tell me what I'm getting into. That way. 
I don't have to, I don't have to waste my time for, for starters. Like I'm just at a point in my life where I don't want to argue with people about theology. So Ooh. tell me right away if that's what you want to do. Cause like, then we just have, this would be really quick and I don't, have to do that. I don't have a problem sitting next to people in a pew who believe differently than I do. If we are all singing the same songs, I am, I'm going to be uh, uh, blissing out. I'm going to be <laughs> living my best life. Mm-hmm. But if the sermon coming at me, is one that is of coded language, you know? And if the leadership team is selected in a way that's clearly, you know, ge- uh, gendered in some way or uh, racially weird or anything like that, that's what's going to really, like, flip the script. That's going to make me annoyed. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it definitely feels like it's resonating and we're having a lot of really good conversations. I think people are paying attention, um, throughout across the theological spectrum. And, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to toe an interesting line where a lot of people, um, the more they lean in and the more they read between the lines, because we get pegged as like a, you know, left liberal advocacy group that just shames churches. We, that's, that's how a lot of people understand church clarity. They don't, they don't read between the lines. Hopefully people start to understand better. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. Across, through, again, throughout the, the spectrum, because there's gonna be there's gonna be people that are gonna be upset by that. Yeah. Like, oh, you're just about clarity. Like, I thought you were, you know that that's a real dynamic that we that we have to wade through. And thank goodness, um, you know, we have a killer team that that uh, understands that and, and buys into that. <laughs> well, um, we're kind of running out of time at the moment, um, but I wanted to ask you before you leave how you use the Bible in your everyday life, like how it actually shows up. I'm going to spare you the, the question about sex because we don't have time. <laughs> oh, and clearly right. you're having lots of it because you have children running around everywhere. That's like, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're an right. old married fart. I've yeah. had sex at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, and one just... of them was your wedding night. So. Yeah. No, actually, once we shed all that evangelicalism, all I will say about sex, like... Things have gotten much better. It was it was really like oh, honestly, purity co- culture and all the stuff that we bought into. Uh, so yeah, but I answered the question you didn't ask. Oh, what's the, what's, next question. Oh my god, next, I'm gonna have to have you back on the podcast <laughs> so we can talk about that. But yeah, just to wind down, like the Bible. Yeah, yeah, the Bible. How does it show up in your everyday life? Yeah, so I mean, right now, again, my faith in general is just like I'm every like one day at a time, just trying to put my, my left foot in front of my right. I believe in mystery. I believe in in, in God in, in, a, in a lot of ways. I don't I don't think like that means the same thing that it used to mean to me. Um, so I read the Bible and I'm in the Gospels mostly. Like that's all I really care about anymore for right now. And just trying to understand the context of, of what what Jesus was um, was doing and and how people were, were responding. And I think it's um, I think it's useful for helping clarify what Christianity even is. Because at some level, like, we all talk about, oh, I don't know, no, even know if I'm a Christian anymore, those of us who deconstructed, and like, ah, oh, I could, you know, especially people who don't go to church, like, um, but to me, I've just come to a place where I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the oldest church on the planet, the Coptic Orthodox Church. I was a deacon in that church. I, and then I moved into evangelicalism and then I was a minister and I am still a minister. And now I run this thing that's, um, a, a part of the church world. Like I have too much skin in the game to be uh-huh. like, Oh, I'm not a Christian. 
Um, and, and I don't think it means what it used to mean. Again, it doesn't mean like John three sixteen I, I, that I read that the same way that, mm-hmm. you know, or that I like think I'm going somewhere different than other people when I, <laughs> when I die, none of that. It's, it's all actually just about what's happening right now in the world on planet earth. Christianity happens to be one of the most powerful institutions that, um, yeah. is, is wreaking havoc throughout the world, by the way. And, um, so the Bible is a necessary tool and a necessary um, source book for what we need to to sort of undo some of these things, right? Yeah. Like I think I think there's I think there's um, there's mystery throughout it. Like I think like my favorite Bible verse right now is uh, Jesus saying, "Let your yes be yes and your no be no," yeah. um, be, because you can't argue with that you can't interpret it 16 different ways you don't need the greek to figure it out you don't even it doesn't even really matter what context that gets set in yeah um for what we're doing for clarity like that's it that's the only bible verse that you really need and it just shuts down anyone's like attempt at an argument so that's mm. that's, that's basically it <laughs> cheers to that yeah. george where can people find out about you and church clarity so churchclarity.org, um, at churchclarity on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Gina Kale, and um, yeah, come find us. Come sign up to, to be a volunteer or submit a church to be scored or uh, jump in and try to make it as easy as possible. Woo! And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Crystal Cheatham, and you can find me everywhere at as Crystal Cheatham or on Instagram as The Cheat. And hopefully you'll come back to hear our next show. Okay, bye.